Welcome to the Oaks and Oaths podcast, where modern man follows his ancestral path up out of ruin and ever higher toward the unconquered sun. My name is Ben. Hello, my friends. It is good to be back talking to you. Um, I apologize for the gap between podcasts. I assure you it's not because I forgot about y'all, but I have been busy moving into our new house uh, in the Georgia countryside, just outside of the beautiful classic city of Athens, Georgia. We uh, just bought some chicks today, some long, some uh, leghorn chicks that uh, we're going to use to hatch some eggs and also, you know, give my, uh, my farming, my farming a try. You know, I... Never done this before, but why not? This is the time. The house we moved into has a coop already built on it, so we figured let's let's make this happen. So if any of you have any tips on how to best raise these mother cluckers, let me know. So today we have a very special guest. You may know him from his, his famous and ever-inspirational book, The Way of Men. You may know him from the whole hashtag stay solar movement, which has been a huge inspiration on me, on the Oaks and Oaks account, and just my own personal uh, religious orientation. He's a man who is definitely a bright sun within the manosphere, and he's able to shine light on uh, ways that men can not only understand how to be better men and be good at being better men, but also figure out how to better understand um, their relationship with the spiritual, with the holy, with the sacred. He has a book that just is about to come out. In fact, it might even be out now. Um, It's called Fire in the Dark, and I would not recommend it if I hadn't read it. And I've read it, and I highly recommend it. Whereas a lot of spiritual books are heavy on fluffy poetry. Uh, This author is brings erudite and straightforward and yet, very inspirational prose. It feels like the book itself is not an incredibly long read, but one could spend, you know, um, minutes pondering every sentence because he links everything together and ties everything up in a way that is just incredibly strong and incredibly insightful. So, if you haven't guessed by now, our guest today on the Oaks Notes podcast is Mr. Jack Donovan. Before we dive into this, Incredible interview. First of all, I want to just thank Jack um, for being so generous with his time to come on to this podcast and to discuss this book and the concept of the solar ideal. Uh, it was an incredible conversation, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So if you enjoy the Oaks and Oaks podcast, man, it would mean a lot to me if you would share this podcast with somebody who you might think would enjoy it as well. Uh, if you'd be so kind, a uh, five-star rating or a review on any platform this podcast is available on also goes a long way in making sure that this goes out to people who need to hear it. Again, we as men are living in a time where sometimes the way seems a little cloudy. Sometimes things seem a little hazy and we don't really know where to go or what to do. Thankfully, we have people like Mr. Donovan who set a shining example and clearly articulate ways that we can orient uh, our approach toward the divine, toward the holy, and find some hope, find some, some, some drive, find some power even, um, as we try to take charge of our lives and ascend out of the chaos of our age to become the leaders and examples and 
heroes even that our children, grandchildren, and the world in general so desperately needs. So without any further ado, Mr. Jack Donovan. Hello, Jack. Thank you so much for coming on the Oaks and O's podcast. Uh, It's an honor to have you here. And I'm really excited about diving into our conversation today. So thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. So, so you're out in Utah these days, right? Are you, you're down by uh, Salt Lake City, if, if, if my mind doesn't fail me, right? Yes, yes, your mind is, has not failed you yet. Uh, I <laughs> am, you. Yeah, I'm, I'm in uh, the West Valley right now. That's where my shop is. Awesome. Very cool. And so, so what do you think about it? I mean, I, I think Utah is one of the most beautiful states in the country. A couple of years ago, I went on a road trip to uh, Zion National Park and Canyonlands and went down to St. George. And uh, it's just so like the alien rock formations and just like the, the air, how like how clean it is and how blue the sky is and how you can see all the stars at night. It's a magical place, man. What do you, what do you think about it as someone who recently transplanted from the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, I mean, I can't wait to get down south there. I mean, I, I went to Zion last summer, and uh, you know, I kind of liked Utah before that, and then I, I saw that, and and uh, you know, that that was fantastic. And I went to Bryce Canyon, and uh, I still haven't been to like Moab and all the other. There's so much stuff uh, down in the southern half of it, and I, I want to get to all that soon. Uh, but I've been working on the book and everything, so I'm up yeah. up in Salt Lake, so that's northern Utah. And uh, but, you know, it's in this great valley and, and you never get tired of, you know, like driving to work. It's retarded. Any, every, everywhere you go in Salt Lake City and I shouldn't talk it up because more people move here. But <laughs> they, there's this magnificent mountainscape behind you and it's right up on top of the city. It's not like far away like Denver. It's like it's like, boom, you're oh, I'm in the best buy parking lot. Boom, like, oh, like giant mountains everywhere. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, from outside the, my shop here, I can look at like mountains on both sides of me. It's 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 amazing. That's incredible. There's something powerful about being around mountains too. I feel like some of the greatest philosophers were also mountaineers. Um, so was Aleister Crowley. So I uh, wouldn't consider him a great philosopher, but an interesting man. And uh, I know where I'm at in Athens, Georgia. We're about an hour south of the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Appalachian Mountains. And so I love going up there. I've been section hiking the Appalachian Trail with my brother. And um, I'm coming from Ohio where, you know, the biggest mountain is probably some like pothole in the road that <laughs> that he's paved over. <laughs> uh, it's, it's definitely nice being around that kind of energy. So one thing I always liked about Utah is in all the cities that you go in, there's like always these these roads that line up with like where the Mormon temple is in Salt Lake City, like their main temple. So I don't know if you noticed that, but there's like all over the state, there's like I can't remember what it was like first street, 12th street. There's like, it's like a grid that orients around the yeah. Mormon temple. I thought that was pretty cool. Well, actually it, 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 it kind of pertains to the stuff I was talking about in the book in a weird way. Cause I, I, I just had Clinton and a couple other, when they, when I had my party for the book release, uh, out here and we, then we went down to the temple. Cause that's where you take people. I took them to Salt Lake yeah. and then I took them to the temple cause they only had a few hours before they had to fly back. And yeah, it, I realized that this idea that I, I've been, kicking around for years with, uh, from uh, Mertia Eliada's uh, The Sacred and the Profane, the idea that uh, the thing is the holy is, uh, the thing that's holy is, is your axis mundi and then and everything else becomes more profane as it goes out from that. Salt Lake City is actually set up like that. Uh, mm. Because the, it's the church, the holy center of it is the literal center of the city. And then all the roads and everything, they're all like lines of longitude and latitude that come away from the, expand outward from the holy place. 
So it's actually designed exactly like many of the things that I've talked about in the in the book. So I, it just struck me as we were down there. He's like, yeah, you're West Temple Street or whatever, and it takes you right there. And so you know, it's 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 very interesting that they they decided to do that. It's also cool when you think about the fact that you know the majority of people in Utah are Mormon, and when you're in these different cities, you're able to see you're able to be reminded of where your orientation lies, where like the heart of your faith is. Every time you look, no matter where you are in the state, these towns, you're like, if I follow this string long enough, I'm going to wind up back home where I need to be, which is, you know, the temple. So I, it's kind of cool to see in like the secular profane world, like a reminder of the spiritual formation um, in, in the infrastructure. So I've always thought that was pretty fascinating, but. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. But yeah, moving on, we could talk about infrastructure all day, but that probably wouldn't be that exciting. So uh, so yeah, Jack, I, I know a lot of people know of you. They know who you are. Most people have probably read The Way of Men, which I've said to many people is a book that every boy should read before his balls drop, because uh, it tells you so much about what, what happens, you know, to men as, as they grow older in life and and just approaches. We live in a culture where we're often being told what we can and cannot do, and it can be confusing. And I always thought The Way of Men is a very clarifying book to let people know how to engage, as men have done for centuries, um, with, with the world that they, they find themselves in. And you're about to release this new book, Fire in the Dark, which I believe, similarly, um, should be a book every man should read before his metaphysical balls drop, because um, it's such an interesting perspective on um, on faith in the, in the heart of a man. And so I, I think that, you know, you hear about the pills a lot, the red pill, the blue pill, the black pill, et cetera. I've heard it said that the final pill is the God pill, right? Like that's the final thing, the final frontier that a man has to encounter as he escalates through his life and find success in other areas. He has to try to understand the metaphysical. And so that's what I really want to talk with you about today is this book. And and I think, I guess the first question I would ask to you is like, could you give us just a quick uh, cursory background of your spiritual formation and what's brought you to this point? Uh, sure. And, and I talk about it actually a lot in the book. Uh, obviously, I, I, my background is I was raised Catholic and then uh, that that just never was my jam at all. Yeah. Uh, and I don't have any a lot of people have, uh, you know, had uh, painful religious experiences in some way that make them angry about where they came from. And, and you see that actually a lot here in Utah. It's if they, if they leave the if they leave the Mormons, they leave them hard. Uh, yeah. You know, like they have a lot of bad things to say. But uh, you know, I, I never really had that problem. I just was like, yeah, this is totally not for me. And uh, it was really more of an atheist uh, uh, in my younger life. And uh, then as I I got older, you know, I, I you know, it's I was in the Church of Satan, which I think is uh, really, I always describe as theatrical atheism for people who like horror movies and cocktails. So uh, but is, it, is this like Anton LaVey's Church of Satan? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I mean, so I was a priest in that for a uh, few years. And, mm. uh, you know, it's, I got a lot out of that in ways that people wouldn't have expect. But because mm. uh, I wasn't really interested in the anti-Christian aspect of it as so much as the more, I mean, he based part of the Satanic Bible on the book Might is Right. Uh, hmm. so, I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's a little bit plagiarized from it really, uh, you know, if you look at it, uh, and so th a lot of these ideas that I had left behind and that, that's it, on their, it, it was their book, their reading list really hmm. that set me down and really the road that I'm on in many ways, hmm. uh, because it, there was a lot of Jack London on there. 
There was a lot of like Jack London's The Sea Wolf was like, you know, one of Anton LaVey's favorite books. And like then it be, kind of became one of mine for different reasons or maybe the same reasons. Uh, and because it's very much about, uh, you know, a civilized man encountering a more primal aspect of man and uh, realizing that he's not that special and so forth. All the things that really men really probably should go through. And uh, so that kind of sent me down the path that I was on, uh, you know, towards, you know, exploring masculinity in different ways uh, many years ago, probably when I was like in my early 30s. And, um, you know, then I, I left that organization uh, really because I was talking about honor a lot and uh, honor and Satanism really don't go very well together. Uh, you know, like they're, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. it just was impossible to, to, to you know, fit those two things together. Um, and, you know, I'm not really that dark or macabre myself. I, I do have uh, the tendency to uh, want to do something that everybody tells me I'm not to supposed to do uh i definitely I, I i am drawn to things uh that that are that are bad uh that i'm not supposed to do but not because i'm interested in being a sociopath or uh that i'm interested that i that i romanticize evil but more that i'm interested in the the forbidden and uh you know exploring ideas and and uh you know i've just always questioned that sort of thing and so I, you know, I was drawn to that, and I kind of always knew that from there, as it is a pathway in the community, uh, a lot of people go from being, you know, teenage Satanists to uh, Norse pagans is is a pathway. It's uh, a lot of the big names in that community have connections in both, and I think it just becomes a lot of people take realize that you know once they're done being everything's about me and reading Nietzsche in a really like adolescent way, uh, then, then they move on to, to some bigger, bigger ideas and then they have families and they have like, I, I need to think about some deeper things. Mm-hmm. And so they look for something that fits that, fits that strength-based mentality, mm-hmm. but with more community involved and more uh, a, a broader perspective of life. And so from there, uh, you know, I, I kind of knew I was heading in that Norse pagan direction. And then obviously I joined a group that then it was in that. And I learned a lot from that um, in many good and bad ways. But, you know, obviously at that point, you know, I, I was exploring a lot of Germanic paganism and I had to conduct, I was conducting rituals once a month uh, with a group of guys for four years hmm. and like writing and conducting them and uh, coming up with new concepts. So I really had to become... I had to understand what I was talking about on the fly really fast yeah. uh, because dudes were waiting for me to figure it out. You know, so uh, that was my job for a while. And I put a lot of work into it. And obviously, I built Volgang um, based on that and, and you know, exploring that all those ideas in, in a way that really was pretty in-depth and meaningful um, for me. But th- this whole book, uh, the, the Fire in the Dark, really comes out of, in a, in a way, comes out of a cycle of rituals that I did, you know, a few, several years ago. And uh, basically, we're starting the new year. I always did a ritual called uh, Emer Bloat, and I've done that. I've done that many times. I actually just traveled back. They did it again uh, this past uh, January. I always like to do that in January because it starts a new year, and you're starting. Mm-hmm. You're starting the world. You're you're yeah. you're you know Odin. You know. 
uh, murders the chaotic beast Emir, and then makes the whole world from his flesh. And uh, and that happens in a lot of different myths. It's not just the Germanic ones. But uh, so, you know, I started you know, thinking about that as I was developing that ritual for that particular year. I'd already done it like three or four times before. But as I was developing, developing it, I, you know, as you're doing these things, you think about like, well, what is the purpose of this God? What does he do? You know, what you have to really get into it so that you can communicate that because that's your job because you're you know, basically a pastor at that point. You're like, well, how do I bring this across to the guys and make it relevant? And what is the what is the function of this God? And so I was talking about the function of Odin and, and I'm like, well, he's really he's seen as a very chaotic and, and uh, you know, dark wizard figured by a lot of people. But functionally speaking, he's a creator of a new order. You know, he, he, he you know, murders an old order and then creates a new order from its from the remains of it. Yeah. And, and it sets out like basically like sets up the whole world. So this is man and this is woman. And, you know, like he does it with his brothers. And so that really made me think about the function of Odin. And then, you know, I, I did another ritual the next month that was really weird because I had to think about it for a long time. I'm like about how he takes from chaos all his magic comes from chaos but then he turns it into order and uh, you know he go he always has to delve into you know whether he's uh, you know going into the well um you know to get the knowledge from a mimir or um you know any of the you know the sacrifice of him on the tree uh hanging for nine nights he's going into places of darkness to reveal wisdom mm-hmm. and uh reveal light mm-hmm. and so yeah, that was another piece of the puzzle that came together and then we were going to do a Thor ritual and uh, that was already kind of planned. And so, well, what is, you know, like after the order is created, what is Thor, what's Thor's purpose is to protect order. He's to, to, to protect and expand. He's to fight for order. I, I like champion better than protect because protect is a little namby pamby in the sense that like warriors also fight offensively. They don't always just like wait for someone to come to them. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we did that, you know, developed that idea with Thor and then finally, you know, the, it came around to, to getting close to spring. We always used to do, you know, a, a uh, charming of the plow kind of thing in early spring for uh, uh, Frey. And, you know, Frey's purposes obviously has to do with fertility and the perpetuation of life. Mm-hmm. So these three concepts, uh, you know, the creation of order and the, the defense and championing of order and the perpetuation uh, of order became really important to my understanding of those gods. Mm. And so, and the way that they relate to men, because men do all of these things. And so, you know, people were obviously very interested in uh, the the rituals that I was doing out of all gang. They saw all these cool pictures and uh, they wanted to, you know, what do you do? You know, and maybe someday I'll release because I have all the texts because I wrote them all. So I have all the texts of every ritual I've ever done. But, uh, you know, they they wanted to know what do I do, and so I thought that was my next book. I'm like, I'm going to write a book called Odin, Thor, Frey, and then talk about these three concepts of of uh, you know create and and protect and you know champion and and perpetuate. And uh, so I started writing that book, and then I realized it was much bigger than that. Mm-hmm. As I started to do research, it wasn't just about Odin, Thor, and Frey that they have these patterns, you know, reoccur throughout uh, human history and throughout myth over and over and over again. And, uh, you know, like, you know, there's 
the idea of a sky father is not an Odin thing. Uh, you know, like that it's, that's a masculine mythology kind of thing. It's a patriarchal mythology kind of thing. Uh, you know, obviously the Christians have it. They have a, they have a sky father. Um, you know, it's, uh, you have it, see it in Mesopotamian stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot in common, I think, between uh, Zeus and, and Odin in, in some weird ways that people don't really think of right away, but they're right there. I mean, they both turn into eagles all the time. And uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's, you know, they all, you know, both bring, bring inspiration to men in different ways. And it, it, it's, uh, it's a, it, they, I just saw, started seeing all these relationships. And of course, the thunder and lightning, you know, Zeus was originally a, um, he he had to go through battle. He was a warrior before he became king of the gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had to he had to fight Typhon and and all these uh, other you know he had to fight this long war with with uh, you know his predecessors. Very much you know like Odin had to kill Ymir, and before he became you know king of Asgard. Um, mm-hmm. Same thing with you know the Olympians and uh, you know Zeus, and so he was a warrior and then he ascended to be a king, mm-hmm. and so the warrior gods always have thunder and lightning and it's linguistically there and it's it's there all around the world um and and so you know i just started to see all these patterns and i'm like and also my audience particularly uh is bigger than just norse pagans you know it's uh i speak to a lot of men and i i i i think there's a big you know fight in the world that's important right now and, and that it has to do with uh really saving heroic masculinity and we're all in that fight together and i don't have time to nitpick with christians and mormons and and uh, jews and and all these people about what about particulars yeah you know i don't have time for that um and i don't think any of us do because time is short uh you know we're uh, masculinity is is under threat in a big way in the world and so uh, what i was really much more interested is how i how can i bring these guys together and find common ground in a way, you know, that is two things really is two things. Like we can, a, I think what I laid down in fire in the dark is almost a religion that you could practice on its own. Hmm. And I could actually fill it out to the point where it could be. It would just say, it just takes time and work. And, but I didn't want to limit it and be like, Hey, I'm creating my own religion guys over here and have it not relate to anybody else that I speak to. Yeah. And so I, I wanted to create more of a philosophy that could mm-hmm. be interpreted as a religion. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have things like that, then you have a crossover and it, mm-hmm. it's a crossover in the way that I think Freemasonry is a crossover mm-hmm. in, in a way a Freemasonry. It's like, you just have to say that you believe in something and the Freemasons yeah. will let you in. And then they have their own mythology that sits on top of that. And yeah. then that's fine. And because you're not, they don't put people in a situation where they're, they're blaspheming their God or where they're, they're creating a, a sin situation. They're creating like another level of really esoteric masculinity uh, on mm-hmm. as sits on top of, of, of a bunch of religions. And mm-hmm. so really, I think that's what I've created. So if, it's like, if you don't have, yeah. if you don't have a spirituality and you just want to think about masculine ideas throughout history, the idea of solar idealism that I put together in this book is kind of enough. Mm-hmm. And then if you also have, you know, if you're a Mormon or a Christian or whatever, 
or, you know, Norse pagan or anything, you can have that and keep it. And then also look at these bigger ideas mm. as well mm-hmm. and, and without really being in conflict. And so that, that was hard to do. And so that was a hard book to write, <laughs> you know, like that's a big, yeah. picture, that's a big picture thing. And uh, so now I'm kind of just trying to step back and figure out how to talk about it and, and how to present it and, and, and so yeah. forth. But I, I'm, I think it's exciting and there's a lot you can do with it. So one thing I want to add to that, that's, thank you. That's Great. You answered a lot of questions that I had just in that whole, that whole arc. Yeah, of, I of actually your just gave you like, a, you know, like 10 years of my life story. But yeah, go ahead. Love it. <laughs> That's good. That's good stuff. Uh, so I'll, I'll try my best to follow that up. But uh, one thing I, a personal credo that I have, um, it's on my Instagram, uh, my Oaks and O's, like my, my profile. It's uh, through the gate of tear up the solar mountain to the great mystery. And I do that intentionally because Norse paganism is my, my faith path uh because it's my ancestral path if i was italian it would be um you know following the roman gods if i was a greek it'd be following the titans and and the gods of mount olympus if i was hindu i'd be following the hindu gods that that part is to me is just kind of the familial name that i give these gods but one thing i love about the solar idealism is something that you expound upon in the book is like you were, you were saying there is a root belief that goes to the basis of a lot of these pantheons. Like there are parallels between, you know, like like Deus Vater, which is the sky father and Proto-Indo-European, and Jupiter, which is itself just a uh, an evolution of Deus Vater to Jupiter. Zeus, um, which is, a, you know, an evolution of Deus. Uh, Tiawaz obviously was the original sky god in Norse paganism. So, so really it's more of the source code of all these different religious applications throughout history. And that's why, so some people, you might be confused, like, like, what does this have to do with Norse paganism? And I think it has to do everything with Norse paganism, because I think what Jack has done in this book is kind of talk about the common denominator that exists um, behind a lot of these different pantheons. And one thing that I, a criticism that I have about traditional Norse paganism is, and I think this is what you address in the book too, Jack, is that it's incomplete in so many ways. So much of what we come to just take as common knowledge comes from story story sterlison who himself was a christian who wrote down a lot of the skaldic um and poetic uh, recitations of the faith into uh and he wrote it down which was a wonderful thing that he did but in doing so we don't know how much of the actual traditions were preserved and maintained and so i feel like a lot of folks when you follow a faith it's about dealing with the world as you see it currently and I think there are a lot of people in Norse paganism, as with a lot of reconstructed religions, that almost want to go back to a certain time in history. But we don't live in the ninth century anymore. We live in the 21st century. And the problems that we're facing now are so much different than the problems that they faced then. And so what I really like about what Jack is doing here is that he is trying to create an understanding using this, this raw material, but to build, as he puts it in the book, a spiritual technology to help us navigate life in the 21st century. And so I, I love, to my next question, I love how you brought this up as for those who already have a faith system, it can be a, like an archetypal philosophy, such as like, uh, you know, the four archetypes or, or um, something similar. But to those who are looking for a spiritual formation, it could also be a spiritual technology. So could you kind of uh, unpack what a spiritual technology means as, as opposed to a traditional religion? Well, I mean, I think, you know, religions are spiritual technology. You know, that, that, mm. that's kind of what the point I was making. 
Yeah. Uh, traditional religion, I mean, really just has years of history and foundation and uh, structure. And when people talk about spirituality, you know, they talk about feelings generally, you know, like uh, spirituality is really just like, well, I feel like I'm in contact with the you know, spirits, man. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, but I think that when we're talking, spiritual becomes a weird thing because, you know, are you talking about ghosts? What are you talking about? But uh, really, we're talking about, I think, the animating dreams that we have. Like the things in our unconscious that are really powerful for us rather than just, you know, like the, the everyday world is, you know, this costs that much and this plus this equals that. And, uh, you know, like this is why I have to turn left at this street and very, you know, like rudimentary things, but there are dreams and ideals and so forth that we tap into that are really what enrich our lives and also drive us and, uh, you know, like capture our imaginations and so forth. And movies are the things that tap into that, you know, very much in music and, and all that, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a nerd. I mean, I was listening to when I get, when I get turned up for solar idealism, I, I put on the man of steel's soundtrack cause it's everything. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, the Hans Zimmer. That, because that, that taps into like something that I deeply care about. Mm. Um, and so that's very emotional for me. And, so spiritual technology, I think, is is finding ways to access that mm. in a way that's productive, and that's mm. really what religion does. I mean, you go and you hear, you go to the church and you hear the music and they sing the songs about the the thing that is supposed to animate what you care about, and uh, or you know you go to a pagan ritual and they tell a story and you all chant a thing and you're talking about the things that you care about. So you're trying to tap into this you know like this this emotional side of yourself, this unconscious part of yourself. So, you know, like meditation would be another kind of spiritual technology. I mean, that's actually how I use it anyway. I think that like Zen Buddhists maybe use it in a different way. Uh, I actually have a buddy I want to talk about that. I want to talk to him more about that because he's actually going to be a, become a Zen monk, I think, soon. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah I mean, this setup that I have, I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, of course, it is also a set, like literally a set. But uh, uh, it is actually also my spiritual center here. And when I moved out here, you know, I had Volgang, and I still have Volgang, but uh, I also I needed some kind of base, really. Mm. Like I didn't really yeah. have for that in my house, and so when I got this uh, commercial space, I'm like, I need an altar really bad, because mm. uh, I've been doing this thing for so long, and uh, in some way, and so that is also actually my my altar, and I, I, that's mm. what I do use to meditate about, you know. Putting eagles back in the sky. Yeah, and manifest that shit. Yeah, there's all the symbolism. You know, like uh, behind me, I actually have uh, that right now. There's incense in there, and there's, there's myrrh just because I like it. And then there's uh, there's some storax, which I found in an ancient Greek thing. Is some of the, uh, mm. one of the things they used to uh, burn for Zeus. Uh, mm. So you wow. know, like uh, you, you, that's what's really exciting about altars and things like that is that you then you know, dig through all these things to find uh, emotional triggers really for yourself. Um, and, and things that are really speak to what you care about and you know, bring those forward. So you don't forget about them really like So you don't forget about them. And, and so that you have that access Monday in your life, you have that, uh, you know, spiritual center. I, I know in my altar, for example, I, uh, 
I have my, my dad actually built this wooden box for me back when I was a kid and I painted it black um, just so that it would just be a void represents the void. Right. And then I have my grandfather's hammer. He fought in World War II and he like, you know, carved his initials on on it. So I got my grandfather's hammer representing the striker Thor. I got a statue of Thor. I got tear up there. This this um, hand that my wife gave me, it's an ashtray for cigars, but it's like this iron hand. And it obviously represents tear sacrifice. And then I also have this uh, hammer, uh, Mjolnir, that my friend gave me um, for for completing an oath. I, I I did an oath last year that was a year-long oath. It was pretty difficult, but I, I succeeded to do it. And that's a representation of the honor that I earned. Um, and then I also have something for the Lord of the Earth as well. I have some pine cones and some pine needles. And, and um, I had this, this is kind of first time I'm sharing this, but... I went to this Yule gathering and I really wanted to be a father. I feel like that's something that I've wanted to do my entire life. And my wife and I have been trying for a while and, you know, to no avail, this guy comes up to me and he hands, he just, I knew that I met this guy one time before he hands me an Ingvaz rune um, that he carved. And he's like, I believe that I needed to give this to you. And this was a couple of days before the solstice on the 21st. And I told him like, man, this really means a lot to me because I'm really, I really want to be a dad. Like that's something that is really important to me. Well, finds out I go home and on the solstice, my wife finds out that she's pregnant. And so to me, that was like this kind of like, I don't want to use the word prophetic. It's very Christian term, but like this weird synergy thing. So that's on my altar as well. And, and uh, so I also meditate and meditation is so important of just getting all the shit out of your head and just kind of like clearing the smoke and letting the, letting the sun shine through on your mind. I always meditate on the sun because when you, when you look at the sun in meditation, you won't go blind. In fact, maybe you can see more, um, but, but kind of going back to this idea of ritual too, like going back to the solar ideal, the rising of the sun is in itself a ritual, right? I mean, it's something that happens every single day. It's something that starts the world, uh, to use your parlance, every single day. So, like, one could even argue that maybe the, the foundation, the, the wellspring of religion came from the ritualistic rising of the sun and, and, and the light that, that that brought to the world. In fact, I think you mentioned that in your book as well. You also talk about the campfire. So, so yeah, maybe, maybe like, if you wouldn't mind, like kind of extrapolate your analogy of a campfire and how that relates to a man's spiritual orientation. Well, yeah, that, that's something that came, I came across as I was developing the book. And it, it really, in a way, goes back to the way of man because I talked about the perimeter. Mm. Yep. And uh, so I was kind of going back to first principles, like going back to those basic concepts. But the more I thought about it, you know, the campfire is a universal human experience. Mm. Uh, that's universal to men and what they do and you know to just people generally and there's something obviously magic about fire uh it's hard to have a ritual without fire uh because there's just something about it you know churches usually have candles there's just usually something uh very uh, powerful about fire i think because we, we've been around fire for so long mm. but in terms of the sun it struck me as I was writing this book that man is really recreating the sun when he builds a fire. And I think that that's really important because, you know, a fire recreates all the things that the sun does. It, it, mm. it creates light and light is not just light. Uh, it is also knowledge mm -hmm. because, you know, when we can't see things then we can't, we don't know what they are They're They are mystery. Literally, they are in the dark. And yeah. so light is, is a thing that makes knowledge and understanding possible. 
And, you know, that's a very godly idea, you know, and that's that's what the sun does all day long. And then men take it upon themselves to recreate some shabby little form of that in the, you know, in the yeah. in the nighttime. And and so when you're around that fire, everyone, everything that you can see within that perimeter of light and it creates a perfect perimeter because it creates a sphere really of light, I guess a half sphere because the other part would be underground, but uh, it creates a sphere of light. And everything that is within that, to the degree that it is close to the fire, very similar to what we were talking about in terms of the sacred and the profane, the closer it is to the fire, the more you can see it. And the further away it is, the less you can see it, and the closer it gets to a mysterious thing. Mm. And so it creates this natural perimeter. And then outside the perimeter is the chaotic unknown. Mm. And that's the same thing. I mean, the, the sun really floats through the universe in darkness. I mean, it is the source of light. So it floats through darkness, and and that's it's surrounded by chaos, and uh, and chaos and disorder and whatever. But it creates order wherever it goes. Mm-hmm. So it creates, uh, you know, it create, it brings things into its orbit, and that's really, you know, you see that you hang out at a campfire, and that's what happens. Like it creates, there are all the people like hang out close to the campfire, especially if it's winter, yeah. and uh, you know they, and then the further you go out, it becomes more sparse. And, uh, you know, people are drawn to the center of it. It has its own gravity. Mm-hmm. And also because that, that the other reason is, especially if it's winter, is because it has it creates warmth. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing the sun does. So it's a really, the sun is just a great metaphor for the whole stay solar thing, but also the creation of spirituality and, and the creation of, you know, values and knowledge and everything that you care about can be represented by fire. And we've, you know, humans have used fire as a metaphor for that for thousands of years. Not like it was only my idea, but yeah. uh, I, I think that just to put it in this particular frame, I think w- was a pretty good idea of mine, uh, mm-hmm. but because it's so accessible to everyone, like everyone out, you know, anyone who's ever gone camping has gone out in the woods, created a fire and you see where darkness starts. And that's where you don't know what's going on, you know, like, mm-hmm. and, that's where, you know, and in movies, that's where the axe murderer is, you know, yep. like, in, you know, or a cougar. Sasquatch. Yeah. Yeah. Sasquatch, whatever. Yeah. You know, like that's, that's where the unknown is. And so everything outside of that, you know, is, is the unknown. And we could all relate to that. And it's all around the world. And it's not just like Western man or whatever. I mean, like, yeah. you know, Aborigines in Africa, in, in uh, you know, Africa or Australia can, you know, uh, had the same thing. And, uh, and we all understand that as men and as humans. So I, I just think it's a really, it's a really, it gets down to the primal root of everything. You know, it's, mm. it's this thing that we recreate the sun. So I think that is, it is a little bit of a ritual because that it, it is, ma- it's magic too. You know, yeah. it is, I mean, uh, you know, creating fire was a like magical skill whenever men, men figured it out. And, uh, yeah. you know, like that's, that's a skill that you have to have and you and develop uh, and to be able to create that, you know, wherever you go. And uh, so I think it's just a, a, a fantastic you know, metaphor for everything. And one could argue, too, that like man's harnessing of fire is what's brought about every technological invention for the most part, because you got like electricity is just fire that's been finely tuned like a laser is fire. It's a beam of light that's that's, you know, contracted to become a laser like nuclear fission, the nuclear bomb. All this has to do with heat and fire, all, all these all this stuff uh, is, is essentially just der- derived, like if fire is Ymir, then everything that came after it is because is we were able to interact with the world of fire and create civilization as a result. If we never had figured that out, then I 
we'd probably still be uh, scratching our asses with a stick and eating berries in the woods, you know? Well, yeah, we, we couldn't have cooked food. So, uh, yeah. I mean, we, needed, we exactly. needed to cook food. And, and uh, yeah. you know, which I really, I don't think I touched on in the book, but I mean, that's a huge part of, you know, human evolution too, is actually being able to cook food. And, uh, but yeah, and it is, I, I do like that, that it expands out in, because people, as you mentioned, have a tendency to romanticize the past and that everything has to be in the past and everything good has to be in the past. And it's obviously, I like that too. I mean, I like to go to primal roots yeah. of everything. Sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, don't lose the sight of the fact that, yeah, we, we did, we harnessed lightning. Basically, you know, like that's <laughs> this is all Thor yeah. shit, you know, like we, yeah. we are, well, I mean, you know, Thor or Zeus or whatever, but like it, you know, we, I mean, the, the lights that are around me now, I mean, I have fire behind me, but I also, that's an LED light, and uh, these are, you know, this, this is all harnessed lightning. So, yeah. and that, that just, oh, more things that men have done to really imitate the sun, you know, and, and the light and create the warmth and so forth. So it's, it's really, I think, yeah, it's just a powerful, powerful imagery. Well, and I think to add to that point, like time itself is is based on the sun. I mean, it's based on the rotation of the sun around the earth. Uh, or, no, I mean, that's <laughs> the earth around the sun. Shoot, man. Unless unless you want to, you know, get into that kind of stuff. Flat earth. Is, which I'm <laughs> not. But that was definitely just a Freudian slip. It wasn't it wasn't an actual my, my belief. But but like that's how we quantify what, what time is. It's based on this like ritualistic interaction that we have with this celestial object. And. I'm of the perspective that time is an invention. Like there really is no time in, in my perspective, just based on meditation and, and kind of mystical experiences that I've had. And so that's why I believe that your book is so important because I don't think we as a people are ever really evolving towards something. We, we cycle in and out of ages, you know, like we go through this, you know, the whole, you know, good times create weak men, whole, right. that whole cycle. I mean, there's so much truth to that though, because like you look back at like France before the revolution, it was like this like landed lazy aristocracy that really didn't offer much value to its people, just lived off of their largesse that that brought about a revolution, which which changed everything over again in kind of this Hegelian way. And so I think throughout the scope of history, it is wise to look at things that are immortal and above history. And what is more immortal and above our history than the sun itself? And and I feel like kind of like to expand on your idea, I, I feel like these days men have two choices. You can either be a sun or a black hole. Now, like a black hole also has its gravity, but instead of being a progenitor of, of growth and warmth and benevolence and, and light, it's, it's something that destroys everything that comes into its orbit. I think you see this with a lot of people that are in the black pill aspect of things, the doomers, all this kind of stuff. Like they believe that life is doomed. Everything's out everything's out to fuck them like they're they have no chance of succeeding in this world and they they become incels they become people that shoot shoot up things you know it's like that is the other archetype that that is kind of the dark inversion of the solar philosophy and so i think it's to the betterment and the and you know the benefit of all men that we really continue to explore this idea so that we can go on the gradation from being a black hole to becoming a sun, because both have a, an equal power of gravity. One brings life and maintains order. One brings destruction and wipes out all good that that was there, you know, before it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's and you see that so often, and that's one of the reasons why I think the state, the stolar uh, philosophy became really important to me. Because yeah, you do get, and we all go that way. I mean, I. I was a little black pill yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. was a little grumpy and black pill. I think I read too much news that for the day, and I was like, uh, you know, uh, tired. I was just done. I was tired of it. Yeah. Uh, but you know, 
but when you see people who are really committed to that, who really become really nihilistic and uh, really nothing really matters to them anymore. Um, yeah, they do. They, they, they bring down everyone like yeah. near them. And uh, some people are like that and they don't even know it, which is bad. But, uh, you know, a lot of guys do know it and don't care. You know, like they, they just have bad things happen to them and then they just create more bad things around them. You know, they create yeah. like an orbit of bad things and uh, just dysfunction everywhere that they go because they're not right. And they, and you know, if, if I can't be happy, then no one should be happy kind of yeah. you know, mentality. And there are so many people who are like that. And, uh, you know, I, in, in contemplating all this, I mean, there's a lot of people you know, in Norse paganism and into different things who are really into the black sun idea. And, uh, you know, I, I got it. I've, I've painted some black suns in my life and, and, sure. you know, I've, I've gone to the place and seen the thing, but, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it is a, a black sun is a black hole. And, and I think that they, uh, people don't really think of it that way. They think it's some weird esoteric magical thing, but like, uh, I, I really think that the people who seem to align themselves with black suns also become, tend to also yeah. become black holes. I mean, really, I mean, like the biggest group that did that became a huge black hole for all of its people in most of Europe, you know, yeah. and uh, we still have to hear about it every single day today. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's uh, you know, I, I think it's bad mojo. I mean, <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm definitely like, because people, I think, misinterpret that sim symbolism as well, because, you know, they, they have these ancient solar symbols, but they're like rusty and they're dark and yeah. uh, they're, but they, they were, they were suns. They were supposed to be suns, not like black suns. They're just supposed to be suns. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, so I think that people can go down a really dark route with that and get attached to like some dark ideas and then not come out the other side. Cause I, yeah. I, I like to play with dark ideas. You know, I, I do all that. Sure. I mean, if any, if I fit any of the parts of the archetype in the book, I'm, I'm father in darkness more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, that's my job. You know, I'm like a priest figure, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, yeah, but you, you got to come out the other side, you know, like you got to come up the other side and bring something to the table and not just hang out in darkness, uh, you know, because that doesn't really help you or anyone else around you. Absolutely. I'm sorry about the interruption. I uh, Somebody just walked in on me. I'm going to I'm going to lock the door. I'll be right back. <laughs> no worries. I'm going to I'm going to end this out of our conversation, but I'm in a co-working space uh, right now and there's a studio here. So I, I okay. scheduled the, I blocked up the time for this, but I guess the people didn't look, look that up. So now they can't get in if they want to. But uh, all right, I'm going to make a note. This is at 42 minutes uh, into the recording so I can edit that out. OK, cool. Cool. Yeah. So so, yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, that's man, that's a great point. And, and I think that because it is easy for men to look, and I think you see this a lot this day and age, um, it's easy for men to look for an immediate fix. Men like to find fixes, right? And like, we we want to fix things. Like, you know, it's men and women are so different. Like my wife, like she'll come up and she'll tell me a bunch of stuff going on. And my immediate thought is, okay, how do I get this resolved so that she can be back to the woman that I know and love? And, and not this person who has all these issues going on right now. But a lot of it is that she just needs to process what's going on. And so I, I, I feel, so the best thing I could do is just listen. And I feel like a lot of times men look at culture or the world around us and we say, okay, there's obviously a lot of these issues that need fixed. What can I do right now? And I think one of the, the cool things about something like this, this philosophy is that it's, it's a long game. Like 
there are no quick fixes. Fixes and true change takes time, it takes commitment, and it, it takes, like the sun, continuing to rise, to continuing to show up, continuing to build and continuing to grow. This isn't, there's there's no quick immediate fix. You, you can elect somebody in the office, but that person might get, you know, kicked out of office four years later or what have you. You might win some front on the cultural war only to lose some ground somewhere else. Now, if that's all that you're, that you're, that you're, um, I guess, qualification of success is as a man, that's a very lonely and alienating thing. And so I think that a lot of people become these black holes because they realize that it's impossible to change the world, no matter how much will or desire that you have in one's lifetime. However, I do believe that a, a large group of men that buy into this positive idea and are able to walk it out in their lives and show up in their lives and the lives of others with this concept in mind can have this compounding effect where you're not just what you're not Atlas holding the world on your shoulders yourself. You, you're a bunch of atlases that can that can carry hold that weight and carry it forward. And so, I kind of want to like segue into that. Like, I think this philosophy is a philosophy of hope, where I think a lot of men feel hopeless, and it's easy to complain about the order that is that you see in the world around you. But the manly thing to do, in my estimation, is to do something about it and to change it and to bring order out of chaos, build a new order. I think that's what you're all about as well. So how does a man who wants to adopt solarism, the solar ideal, how does one man take that order and and bring it to every area of his life? And most things start internally, right? Like you have to change yourself before you can change the world. So like, I guess two, two parts of the question. The first question is like, how does one view himself within the solar ideal? And second, how does he extrapolate that into the world around him at large? God, I'm such a nerd. Uh, you said that now, like uh, Michael Jackson's band in the mirror just came into my head. Anyway, now you talk about pills earlier, uh, you know, black pill, red pill, blue pill, all that stuff. And I put on an uh, essay a, a few weeks ago uh, about the gold pill mm. and the idea that uh, the gold pill is realizing it's our job to become the men of the golden age mm. and that it's no one else's job and that, the, you know, we can't go back to some magical golden age. We can't, you know, we, we it's our job to become, to, to, to rise and be that guy. And so I think... It, you know, that's a different pill for people to take. And it's a lot of responsibility because it's way easier to just bitch about stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so easy. You know, it's so easy to just be mad and uh, to be mad and bitch about stuff. And you should be mad. I mean, I think yeah. people get a little bit confused. Like, people overstoicize what I'm talking about to a certain thing. And I think there's a lot of value in Thumos. I, I think that the... You can't, uh, this idea that nothing really matters and nothing really affects me, which isn't really stoicism, but people kind of get that, take that out. Uh, is, is that nothing really matters, nothing really affects me. You know, everything, you know, the world is just what it is. And I just, you know, I can control myself by how I react to it. Yeah. And, and that's, it's not wrong, but I do think there are righteous causes and there are reasons to take action. And uh, it isn't just about surviving and accepting what happens. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think, you know, like in the book, I talked a lot about, uh, you know, George Washington, who's, who's my homie. Uh, you know, <laughs> I don't think anyone represents these three ideals better 
uh, in modern times that we have actual history of and know things about. There are plenty of myths and plenty of like things from ancient history and so forth. But here's a dude who did all the things. Mm-hmm. And he's a farmer and a warrior and a, a literally you know father of a nation yep. who then you know helped make orders. I mean, it's it's all the pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. And actually, like I, I added this, uh, I had just because you can have things made so easily. I had the uh, what will Washington do armband uh, made. So I have like <laughs> I have like a million of them. I pass them out at my party. I'll probably sell them online at some point. But uh, so, but because it, it's a good question to ask yourself: so what would Washington do? Mm-hmm. And and I think that's a place to start because you know he exhibited all these qualities that we're talking about. I mean, he was as far as stoicism goes. There's nobody who exhibited more emotional control than that guy. I mean, he was that he he valued it really, really highly, and you know, explicitly said that uh, many times, and uh, he was known for it. And so he has the emotional control aspect of things, but also, you know, he is a passionate man who cared about some uh, some things. And uh, at a certain time, there's it's time to take action, you know, mm-hmm. and it's time to like do something about it and be that guy. And and so, I think that that's. Uh, I think that that's a lesson as well, rather than to just become a wallflower, be like, I'm happy no matter what, I'm happy no matter what, I'm happy no matter what. Because I think people take it that way, you know, like, you know, and that's, if you're in prison, that might be a good way to go. You know, yeah. like if you're, if you have a life sentence in prison, you yeah. might be like, I, no matter what happens, I'm happy. No matter what, you know, like, it's just, you know, convince yourself of that, do daily affirmations about it. But uh, I think that there, there is a commitment if if you do feel like you're the men of it's your job to create a new golden age or to yeah. be the men who start something or to do something, that's a yes. lot of responsibility. And uh, it means that you have to, you know, walk your talk and that you have to go and do something in whatever way is necessary. Cause we are not all going to do the same thing. We don't have the, we're not the same. We don't have the same aptitudes or resources. I mean, what a multimillionaire can do and the way that he can give the finger to the government is different than what I can do yeah. or you can do with most guys who just have to work for a living. You know, it's like, I, you know, I, I still have to go and run errands and do things, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but so we all have different aptitudes and abilities and, and uh, resources available to us. But, uh, you know, before we went on the show, I won't say what it was, but I told you about something I'm working on that I think is in my wheelhouse, like something that I have to offer and a change that I see needs, you know, it's a, it's a need that needs to be filled. Sure. In the and that's something that I'm working on, and obviously that's what I've done with all my books in some way. I mean, that's that's what I do. Um, and there are many other guys who have many other skill sets, who, you know, can create something that needs to exist. Um, I don't know why more people aren't investing in creating server farms, hmm. uh, because we have a problem that people need servers because hmm. people are getting canceled and they need like servers and and. Uh, People need to have their own networks and it can't be dependent on other people anymore. And that's that's a huge business opportunity that could be at a low level or high level. Yeah. Uh, you know, like you could have a room full of 10 of them or you could have a room full of 100,000 of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like it's and I don't even know what they are. I mean, I'm not a dude who understands what servers are, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> you know. Usually uh, but, it's the guy that brings me my drink or my food at a restaurant typically is what I, I think about. Right, but, right, 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 right. Yeah. right. But uh, I mean, but there's, you know, there's all these opportunities for people with different aptitudes to create something that needs to exist in the world. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, different, you know, like, 
and there, you can see people like out there doing it. I mean, whether it's like that Andrew Torba guy with Gab, he's you know basically just taking the whole world on his shoulders and doing it in that way, mm-hmm. or you know like any of these other guys who are you know like I've had Ian Smith on my podcast who is like I'm going to be the guy who gets a million dollars in fines fighting the government because that's yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. You know, and uh, you know like the guy they're guys doing that. And we just need more guys to do whatever they can in their own way. Mm. I can't do what Ian Smith is doing. I mm. can't do what Andrew Torba is doing. Yeah. But I can do something. Yeah. And that's what we all have to do. And that's that's what I think having this gold pill mindset really means is that it, it is your responsibility to do something about mm. you can't be mm. like because the other aspect of it is to be childlike. Mm-hmm. Really. And that's that's the way the world is going, is that we're yeah. all to be children that are be taken care of by the state and you know like mother may i you know with everything or by and, tech uh, corporations or by anybody that wants to exploit us for their yeah. own benefit yeah and that's that's very comforting to a lot of people because you know like being responsible for things is hard and uh you know it's it's stressful and uh but that's our, our job, I think, in a lot of people, it's easy for people to be like, well, they rule us and mm-hmm. they're making all the decisions and they're doing the thing. And we still so we, yeah. we still do have agency at this point, you know, like maybe someday we won't. But like we do have some agency at this point um, to do whatever we can. And so, you know, if, if you're just being like, I wish they would let me do this or I wish they would let me do that. You're a child asking for mommy and daddy's permission. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and we all have compromise we have to make in whatever way. But, you you know, if, if you want to be a man like you're in and, and it's up to you to try and create whatever you can for yourself. Definitely. You know, that's a great point. And, and I think that that's hits on something really interesting. Like Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, get action and stay sane. You know, it's this idea that a man has to act. You know, I mean, that's what that's what we do. We build things, right? At least we should be building things. We built civilization up to this point. Um, but I think that in order to act, the 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 stoic piece, the stoicism piece, applies more to your mindset. Like the idea of like the solar ideal, at least as I see it, is there are clouds in my mind. These are clouds of doubt, clouds of insecurity, clouds of fear, right? And I need to allow those things to drift away through meditation, through ritual through almost detachment to the worries of the world so that I can let that light shine through my own mind and then I can take action in the actual world. Because if you're, if, I think so many people define their happiness in the world by external events outside of their control. Right. And you think about Marcus Aurelius, he was a philosopher king, right? So he had to lead, not only did he lead the Roman empire, but he also led them into battle. So he was, he was, you know, like Washington, a great example of these three things. He was a father, he was a striker, and as the emperor, he was the lord of the earth, too. He was responsible for the for the, the well-being and the food and, you know, the life of all these citizens under his charge. He was also a great stoic as well, who didn't ever intend for his meditations to, to outlive, you know, his life probably, but now we have it to this day. And I feel like because he was able to act so well was because he was able to clear his mind and know himself to this point of allowing that light to shine through. And like you were talking about as well, like every man has a part to play in this thing. There is, and you allude to this in the book, there is a solar hierarchy that exists. And the problem I think with this world is that everybody's equal. Everybody's the same just because they're alive. So there's no need to strive for one's place between heaven and earth. 
to, to understand what that hierarchy is. But when, when somebody understands this idea and this concept and that light is allowed to emanate in them and then through them and from them, I think it becomes obvious to them to say, okay, how can I best serve this purpose? How can I serve this function? I'm no longer spending my mental capacity worrying about things, being depressed, feeling like a failure, et cetera. I'm feeling activated and alive. I'm using this technology to, to turn on, in a sense, to, to, to invert, avert a phrase, become woke, I guess, to, to my own masculinity and my own function to be able to, to move. And so I think you're right. I think there has to be a sense of detachment in the mind from what the world does and a connection to the Father, the Striker, and the Lord of the Earth. And then similarly, there also has to be an impulse to move and, and to, to allow oneself to become subject to that hierarchy so that he can better serve his world, his family, his friends, and his country, etc. So yeah, that, that's, that's said really well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know what to add to that. You, you, you expounded on it very well. Well, so there's something in your book that kind of comes off of this that I love. Like you're, you're talking about uh, Heracles or Hercules, as a lot of people call him, that they are right. the same person, right? Yeah. 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 I think okay, it's just so a different, I thought, I thought it's like an anglicized or Romanized spelling versus the like Greek spelling. And, you know, like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm I, I feel like I'm earning my living narrating this book because it's the hardest thing ever. Uh, you know, like, I did this for two hours today. Like, that was my thing. I just have to get it done or it's not – the book isn't done until I get this done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm narrating this for Audible and, and uh, you know, like I, I, all the way up to Lord of the Earth chapter finally. And uh, that is the thing with the, the book is that there are – you know, I'm just going through it today. I'm like, is, there, is that Iranian – how do I pronounce Iranian? Like, 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 you know, like, I'm like, I have to go, I have to stop, look up all these different languages and just do my best because yeah. I can't just like be like, oh yeah, I speak Sanskrit and Iranian and yeah. Greek and whatever with perfect pronunciation. You know, like I, mm -hmm. I, I, I give it a shot. I, you know, I pull up the IPA and I'm like, well, okay, all right, that's, <laughs> I'm going to give that a shot, you know, but, but yeah, there are a lot of different words. So yeah, they are the same person. It's just different okay. spellings and, and all these things. And, and, even with the myths, with so many things, there are like different stories even about Heracles and like what he did. And, you know, it's like, because you have that. And I think that we would have that with the Germanic stuff. Yeah. Odin, we, Odin. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we definitely have that. Y'all you know, like the million pronunciations of Wotan and Odin and yeah. Wotan and we, you know, all that. you have all that. And uh, I think we'd have that with the stories mm -hmm. as well. Uh, but we only have really like the one source and then some other sources kind of, yeah. and then, you know, like, uh, yeah, like the, uh, the, the, the book of, you know, the Kings, the Heimskringla or whatever, like yeah, you have a few other things that have totally different stories mm -hmm. about the gods. Uh, but I mean, I think that with the Greeks, we have such a, a good record of their, yeah, their, they wrote it down. <laughs> yeah. They wrote everything down. And so yeah. like, you see hundreds and hundreds of years of dudes being like, you know what I think? Oh, you know what I think Zeus did? You know, like, you know, like mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's like different stories about like how the world was formed and, and, you know, all like the, you know, very similar, but details are changed all yeah. over the place. And I think that you'd have that in, uh, you know, the Germanic material as well, if we had more of it written down. Mm. So it's, it's always frustrating to me when people get really fundamentalist, uh, fundamentalist about it. Like, well, he said clearly blah, blah, blah. 
and you can't it's like that's not the way it would have been and that's you know like there would have yeah. been like a million tribes of different million different ideas but anyway i i, yeah. I, I from hercules yeah yeah <laughs> hercules, I, hercules. I figured I, I absolutely figured I, I yeah like i know there's like hecate but that's a that's a goddess I'm like that's definitely not who this is i'm like i'm guessing this is a hercules because i i know the yeah. story that you're referencing here and that's when he goes to uh arate and kakia and he's you know presented with a choice and I love that you brought this in because, because following the solar path is not necessarily an easy path, but it is a it is a correct path. It is a right path. Right. And, you know, so I feel like when when it comes to practical, people often ask, like, I think folks like, like someone like you or me, we're both artists, we're both conceptualists, we're both able to think rather abstractly. Um, whereas a lot of folks that I know follow me are more literal or by the book, there might be ex-military or they might have a very specific technical job. And I think that bringing this this particular story into the book was awesome because it prevents a, it it presents a clear um, I guess division of options that that a, a man can choose to choose the path of arate or virtue or kakia or vice um, and so I guess as as I'm as I'm thinking about the solar ideal and like a practical application of it how do you think that this story of of Heracles um, presents a a good a cautionary tale or an encouraging anecdote for for us men living, you know, in our modern era, on this path. Well, I mean, it's I, I think the art for it is always called like uh, Heracles or Hercules at the crossroads. Mm. And, you know, because it's a crossroads of two different paths that he could take. Yeah. And uh, so I think there was a lot of medieval art about it. When I was studying it, I looked uh, a bunch of it up, and uh, he is. It, it's very applicable to to yeah any anything in modern age and. It, uh, is a great speech that uh, uh, you know Arete gives, and uh, you know basically like you know Kakia offers him this this path of that everything's going to be easy, yeah, and you're going to get whatever you want, and you can just uh, you know like you can have sex with whoever you want, you could just say and and uh, uh, eat whatever you want, and you know like lay around and not do anything. Yep. Or you know this like Wally, the people in Wally in the spaceship, essentially. Yeah, yeah, and, and so, but uh, Arete said, "Hey, this is a much harder path, yeah. but uh, it's how you actually get things done." Yeah, you know, this is uh, this is actually you know the better way, and it says, you know, like if you're going to all these if thens kind of equations of like mm -hmm. if you know. If you if you want to have food, you're going to have to work hard to raise the crops. If you want, uh, if, you know, if you want to go to war, you better learn how to fight a war. Uh, you know, if you if you want to, all these things that you may want to do in life, you're going to have to work to develop the skills necessary to do them. Mm -hmm. And it's going to take a lot of diligence, and it's going to take a lot of you know, time and uh, commitment on your level. And you know that's. There's nowhere that is not applicable in life. It's it'd be harder to find where that is not applicable in any age, uh, yeah. rather than just you know, I, I, that's you know three quarters of the advice in the manosphere. I think is just generally like, hey, uh, do the work. Uh, yeah. You know, like do you know, like, do the work. You're going to actually have to like do the work to get this stuff that you want. You know, whether it's money or women or whatever. Uh, you're going to have to lay down the foundation and do all the work and, and you know, do everything that's necessary to reap the rewards. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's and that's a nobler path. And it's harder because it involves work. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's that's true for all of us in everything that we do every single day. I mean, I just complained about that. I have to read this whole book. But then yeah. magic money comes in after. They get done, you know, like that. Yep. And that's you know, it's like that's that's 
why I earn my living is doing this thing that I don't want to do. Uh, and that's uh, the same for everyone. I mean, that's what work is. It's where, you know, if they, you know, they always say if they, uh, if it was fun, they wouldn't pay for it. You know, like that, it's, it, that's the way it is. You know, I mean, it, hopefully, you know, you can do something that you get some value out of in some way, but you know, there's always stuff that you, you know, projects that you don't want to take or things that you don't want to do. Yeah. Um, well, and, and I find too, that when you think about the solar ideal as well, uh, as it, as it, in conjunction with uh, what we just were talking about, um, can you hear me by the way? I, my, my screen froze on me. Can you, can you still hear me? Your screen, your screen froze. Yeah, I can still hear you, but. Okay, cool. Cool. Uh, there, there you go. go. All right. So I'll edit that out too. Um, but uh, yeah. So so based off of what you just said, I think that it is it is when we do those if then things like it's we begin to take more and more control over our lives, and in doing so, we begin to create more order in our lives instinctively. Because, for example, uh, for my own life, like I had this house and I just bought, and I needed to be painted because it was the walls were beige. My wife hates beige; she wanted everything to be painted white. So whitewash the whole thing, and then paint our room in different colors. So I could have hired somebody to do it, but I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna do this myself. And I painted before but not to this extent we have a pretty big house now. So my brother came in and he cut and I rolled. We took charge over that, but I can't tell you the amount. It was a lot of hard work, a lot of long nights, but there was so much satisfaction that came from the fact that I did this and, and I have no one to complain to or, or blame or whatever. I, I set the terms that this needed to be done. I made it happen. And there was just something like it was hard. It wasn't easy but elementally, like within me as a man, something just resonated that, yes, this is the kind of thing that you need to do because I, I saw the, the, the chaos of the brown walls. And I'm like, I have to impose the, the new order onto this house. This house has had this old order from the 80s and I got I to gotta put this new order uh, there in its place. And, and I feel like what you, what you were mentioning with, with uh, Arate, it's hard, but men are defined by what is hard. You know, like men never look at soft men and say, I want to become that. Right. They they look at that and they say I don't want to become the opposite of that right yeah men don't look at like 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 uh, lightweights at the gym and say I want to lift that men don't look, go up to like the the least attractive girl at the bar and say I want to hit on her we like that challenge and that's what defines us that's what fuels our fire and I think ultimately that also ties into the solar ideal because the sun doesn't doesn't rise because it wants to it rises because it's done it for so long that it's that's what it's in its nature to do it takes charge of the sky it grows up everything around it 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 brings forth all life and i feel like when a man takes that path of arate takes responsibility he is free he is harder to control he is sovereign and then by extension he is solar within his own orbit in his life because he's so used to showing up and doing the hard thing and rising every day when it could be easier just to to stay in bed and not rise and then people depend on him and they trust his constancy and that creates a change not just by his actions but also by his example too so yeah yeah no absolutely i mean and that's that's my favorite thing to do and like i said we were joking before the show i i do too much of it Sometimes, because I there's so many things at this point, I'm yeah, that I can do at least in the whatever digital world, yeah, uh, or creatively that I will do it all if if someone doesn't stop me or if I don't wise up, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, this space that you, I mean, this I only got this in November. Uh, you know, I I came in and I'm like, oh, you know, well, I need to paint the walls and and build this thing. I mean, that's the, you know, I've been doing this since Valdegang. You know, I was just, you know, 
well, we need a temple. I guess I'll just figure out how to build that. And, you know, like mm. uh, you know, all that, all that kind of stuff. Uh, that's that's really gratifying. Mm. And and yeah, sometimes it's like oh, I've built enough temples. I'm going to farm that one out. <laughs> you know, like there's there's something to be said for that. <laughs> yeah. uh, once you've done this and that and the other thing, but there's certain things that you do want to have control over and have your hands in, and uh, you know, really do the you know the Lord of the Earth work of it. You know, like the mm-hmm. uh, you know the 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 father vision of it is is like seeing what needs to happen. That's the mm-hmm. management level, and then like yeah. actually doing the work is the you know Lord of the Earth stuff. I think as much as anything, but uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it, it. There's all those parts, and it's good to do all of them. And I think when you engage on the the, the Lord of the Earth aspect of things, it's great because then you have a, a knowledge for what you're expecting. Like you understand, you kind of go into that perimeter and you find out the the darkness of that knowledge gap that you have. And you're like, okay, cool. Now I know how to paint. Now I know how to design this. Now I know how to build this. I can hire someone else to do this and I can articulate to them a vision, which is also a solar idea, like coming from the father being like, all right, this is what needs to happen. You're in the hierarchy of getting it done. So assume this role, carry out yeah. my vision. And I mean, ultimately that's what a king does. That's what a president should do. That's what, you know, like like a coach of a football team, it's all about taking a vision and just like gathering people around it to make make it so, you know, make it happen. Absolutely. And, um, and that's why this, this philosophy in this book is so important is because it's, it's an action-based book. I mean, I think a lot of faiths can be contemplative. And I think contemplation is important in faith. Right. Sure. Like whether you're meditating or whether you're, you know, using some some means to go into like a liminal space or a mystical space, whatever means you choose, that stuff's important. But so often I think the spiritually minded people in the world just kind of get stuck there. They're like, yes. okay, I just have to, you know, if if I if I radiate love and light, then good things are gonna happen my way. You see this in Christianity too. If I only have enough faith or give enough to my church then you know I'm going to be able to hit the hit sevens on the on the cosmic jackpot and get everything that I want but that's not how it goes there's the old saying that God helps those who help themselves and I think that that's true in the sense that we have everything that we need the capacity to do anything in this world and you look at other people in our world who are successful in any field the people at the top of that field and they set an example of what can be done whether we do it or not is entirely up to us and I think that having this kind of philosophy is is such a life-affirming philosophy because it says that you don't have to prostrate before some greater God and, and, and say, I'm a wretch, I'm a sinner, all this different kind of stuff. Right. It's almost like you are part and parcel of this thing. You're in the same family, the same lineage of this thing. You're not this ultimate thing. You're you're not the son. You'll never be the son. Like, as you mentioned it toward the back of the book, this this ideal is impossible to attain, but it's right. it's the striving after the the goal, the ideal that makes us become closer and closer to it as we go throughout our lives. If we're if we're focused on this thing, right? Um, like you you might never become the sun, but if you if you sit underneath its rays long enough, you're going to become filled with more and more of its essence to the point that you're unrecognizable from your pasty self that you might have been before you started doing it. So, oh, absolutely, and that's what it should be. I think as as you said. People get caught up in um, meditation or contemplation of, of uh, esoteric ideas in whatever mm-hmm. way, and that's necessary. But for what purpose? Yeah. Like that. Like it has to. You have to come back from that. You have to bring yeah. something back. You know, like uh, you know, like the the metaphor. You know, you know, Odin on the tree. You know, obviously trying to discover some magical key to the universe. Really, you yeah. know, in, in that in that system, and. Uh, but you know, he brings it back 
you know, mm-hmm. like he, he has it and there, there you are, you know, here, here are the runes, yeah. uh, you know, and that's what you have to do. That's what you're going into this contemplative space. And I think a lot of people, it's very trendy, especially in like just spirituality circles generally uh, to, uh, you know, like, yeah, and I just had this amazing experience. And then I was like, one with the universe, man. Yeah. And then like, and then like, I see how we're all connected. And, you know, like, and then it's just this like limp dick kind of like, you know, if, yeah, place where they end up yeah. and not like, hey, what am I going to do with this? Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, I either like, just are you just gonna revel in the the fact that you you know, tripped on something and uh, now you think yeah. we're all connected, or you or you're like, are you going to make? What are you gonna do in the world? Mm-hmm. Uh, because you know, and I think that's a big difference between uh, my personal philosophy and obviously the philosophy that I put out in the world, and a lot of other philosophies. I am very Nietzschean in that way, and I. Uh, I'm a man. I'm here to piss on trees. Like, like, uh, you know, like, the, 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 yeah. And uh, I, I think that that's what we're here. We, yeah, we, we do come from the void. We all come from the void. We are all part of that. Um, we are all made of stars and we all will go back to dust and all that yeah. stuff. All of that is true. I think a lot of people, when they go into a spiritual space, connect with that idea and mm. then stop there. Yeah. But I, I exist to be me. I am for, until I die, I am differentiated. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am part of, you know, I come from the matter and I'm full of stars or whatever, yeah. but uh, I, I am differentiated right now. And my differentiated existence is all that actually matters to me in terms of like, I, what, because otherwise why even be alive? Yeah. Like I'm here, like I'm here to do, I'm here, here to be the neatest version of Jack Donovan that I can possibly be. Yeah. You know, and, and elaborate on this theme that is me that will eventually go back into nothing and whatever. Yeah. But if I can leave an imprint on the world in some way and create a ripple in sure. time in some way and create an influence, then that's my job. And that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. I'm not here to just think about how I'm one with everything. You know, like yeah. I, I can acknowledge that as a fact and then move on. Well, I think I think a great way to think about that, like, so I, I I'm always interested in like uh, fungus and especially like mycelial layers. Like a mycelial layer is is one with itself. It's like this giant network of of information essentially. And but but it 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 probably is aware that it's one with itself, but it doesn't just sit there. Like it, it's always doing things. It's decomposing things. It's organizing things. It's it's essentially bringing order out of the chaos of death. Like fungus funguses will take a dead animal, break it down and let that nutrients go back out. It'll also make different fungal networks and pathways that it can easily set information upon. And, and I mean, I, there's a hypothesis that like all life eventually came from, um, a fun, like, a um, um, that word, uh, like a fungus layer, uh, mycelium. That's what I was thinking of a mycelial layer that came from space somewhere. Like all life could have come from that. Paul Stamets talks about that and stuff. But if that's true, then aren't we supposed to do the same thing? If we are all one with the universe, the last thing we should do with that revelation is not just sit there and dwell on it, but we should go out there and create other modes, nodes of information and other pathways that other folks can come and follow too. Because if we're connected to other people, then we who have the understanding that others might not have a responsibility to lead other people to that same understanding so that they can empower other people to come into the same understanding as well. And that's why I think that this ideal is so powerful is because you're, you're creating something that has always been there. 
but you're rearticulating it in a language of of our era. You're conceptualizing it in a way that 21st century American world men around the world, once it's translated in other languages, can understand. And, and you're essentially just drawing people toward this ideal, just as as all life is drawn up toward the sun. Like, isn't that what spirituality is all about? Like, like that action. Like, our lives should be creating a container that's something or a shelter, like a house that other people can live in, so that th- then they bring honor to the, those who built the house and they remember those who built the house. And that's that's the idea of legacy, like something that lives beyond our own natural life. If you were just to take that knowledge and sit on a mountain somewhere and decay, you're actually very selfish because you're not passing that on to other people that could use that technology to make their life better and change, you know, their world or not, if not the world at large. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. So, yeah, I have a couple more questions, man. Do you have a you have a hard stop here? You got time for a couple more questions? I have a, I have time for a couple more. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I'll just I'll keep it brief then. Um. So yeah. So tying it back to um like the norse pagan aspect of things so a lot of people listening to my podcast are norse pagans so how can people take the solar ideal and and use that to empower faith in their ancestral gods and folk i mean we've talked about that a little bit but to someone who's like this is such a broad concept how do i synergize it with my understanding of of norse paganism like what would you recommend to somebody who's also gone through that territory and associates a lot of your ideals with Odin, Thor, and Freyr, for example. Yeah, and, and I, I really do lean on them because, like I said, I spent four years doing Germanic pagan rituals every yeah. every month, and so I am most familiar with that material, and it's it, I've had to connect with it in, in ways that I haven't had to connect with Marduk. Uh, mm. You know, I haven't had the time, uh, you know, putting that in the same way. So it's way easier uh, for me to to go there. Uh, than it is for me to go other places. I mean, I still I need to create come up with a new ritual song because I, I I sing nine nights and I can't yeah. do ritual unless I sing nine nights and that's how yeah. it is. Uh, and uh, I, I I we've tried to write one in Pi, but uh, it's it's hard it's hard to write in a language you don't understand and then in poetry, uh, it's it's tricky. So uh, you know I'm still working on it. So the the Germanic frame is still something that's very uh, important to me. And I think it all applies, and that's why I said I, I liked the, you know, the, the creation story, uh, the cosmogony of, of uh, you know, Odin and his brothers. And I think that, uh, you know, I talk about that a little bit in the book. I just kind of mention it aside, but it's a whole different rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, his brothers and their names uh, mm-hmm. is a magical formula. You know, that it's, a, it's, it's like, uh, you know, to create something, as I did a ritual on that at some point as well, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, it's, uh, yeah, you know, Odin, Villian, Vey. So you have uh, will, fury, and sanctity mm-hmm. are really, because it's, you know, one means like the sacred space or whatever, and then, the, you know, like uh, one means will, and one means, you know, really like fury and whatever, you know, all the things that, you know, Odin means, uh, you know, Othar and all that. Yeah. But, uh, and so... It's really a magical formula to create. I mean, that, that here are the things that you need to create your own order, mm. <laughs> fury, will, and sanctity. Yeah. And, and so it's a really that's a powerful thing on its own that I think again transcends all these systems. I mean, that's a very that they put it into these specific words, and I don't know anyone else that did that in that way. Like the Germanics had that locked down in that particular way was that's a really powerful concept so i think that there's so many things that you can pull from all of this 
Um, you know, but that's why I like that, that ritual that, uh, you know, the Emir bloat where you're, you're starting the world. Cause that's been my concept for years is start your own world. And that's really the whole process of that. And it come, the ideas come from it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that that's everything I'm talking about is really rooted in that, that concept of, of, you know, <laughs> slay chaotic being mm-hmm. who exists in the void. And then, and then to, you know, take him apart and then from the pieces of that, make your own world from it. Yeah. And, uh, and so I think that, you know, that's all there. Mm. And so I think that it's all, it's all very applicable. Uh, and I think that it's easiest to understand, I think in terms of the Germanic gods, cause I, as I framed it in that way, because like I said, I'm most familiar with them. I mean, I'm very much a, a, a Zeus dude in, in some ways now. Uh, but you know, I always have that root in the Odin thing. And Odin is probably a little bit more what I actually do for a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it is um, aesthetically, uh, I like a lot of the, because it is more solar in, mm-hmm. in a certain way. Um, I think, and that's something I talked about in the book a little bit, but uh, it's, I, I've mentioned this before. I think that, A, you know, Germanics, and then as you go up into Scandinavia, I mean, they, you know, it's like people in the Pacific Northwest, they lived in the dark for a long time, you know, like, they, 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 there's a little bit of a moody thing going mm. on there. And so there's a little bit of a moodiness to that culture and the, maybe the uh, yeah. philosophy. And, uh, but, you know, the material we have has also been, I think, Satanized a little bit by Christians. So you have this kind of like dark spookiness to it that maybe wasn't there uh or wasn't as as prominent and so i think a lot of people do focus on that kind of dark witchy spooky uh vibe and i think that you know when you think about odin as this uh guy who lives in you know like a shining silver or whatever like there's there's a very clear description of you know like Mm. everything is pretty glorious yeah. You know, it's pretty shining and glorious and solar and in the sky. I mean, they, they live up in this high place and, and, uh, you know, it's, he sits in a high seat and a mountain mountain shelf and overlooks the world. And, it, you know, there's all these, uh, very, like I said, very similar to the Olympian gods and, and all that. There's a very, uh, solar aspect that I think that gets lost in, uh, maybe translation or in the modern interpretation of, you know, uh, weird Viking people sitting in a weird check, uh, you know, like foretelling the future, you know, uh, you know, but which I like, and I kind of built that check, but, uh, you know, like I get it, but there's, I think another aspect maybe to explore there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would agree. I mean, I'm, I'm one of those people myself. Like I, I think I found there was a lot of like, you know, like that darker aesthetic, that gloomier aesthetic. And like you, man, like I, I'm a pretty happy dude, man. Like I, I, I'm not a victim. Like, you know, life, life is what you make of it. I try to make the best life I can and I enjoy my life. I don't have much to, to cry about or, or get emo about anymore. I mean, I, maybe in high school, but like, so I really love like that. This is a positive approach to being a man in the world. I think there's a lot of people that talk about toxic masculinity and all this kind of stuff. And yeah, there are things that men do that are, that are, that are bad and you without a doubt. And I think we talked about that earlier with like the whole black sun or the black hole idea and stuff, but traditional masculinity is not toxic by definition. It, it is, it's what, like what you said, it's what started the world. It's what's allowed this entire superstructure that we have today to exist. And I think what gives me a lot of hope about this book in particular and solar idealism is the more men that can adopt this positive 
um, pro like progenitory approach to being a man, building things, taking responsibility for themselves, leading by example, living a virtuous life, then I think that culturally the idea of a man can be changed because right now we have a zeitgeist where men are on the back foot. And you can either complain about that zeitgeist or you can do something like you're doing, Jack. And like what I'm trying to do with my po- my podcast and my Instagram is try to change the zeitgeist. There's an old line from Mad Men that says, if you don't like what's being said, change the conversation. You know, don't continue to that conversation. Don't add to the echo chamber. Change yes. it. So, and Jack, I ultimately, that's why I'm so excited about this book and having you on is because you are changing the conversation in a, in a very refreshing and positive way here. That's, that's also very well written, very poetic. I mean... The book itself is not a massive book, but you could spend weeks just like parsing over different phrases and words. And like, I can tell that you spent so much time like imbuing each sentence with meaning and connecting it to other concepts in the book. Like you put a lot of thought and heart into this book. And so the final question that I'm going to ask is what kind of man should buy this book and what will it reward its reader with? Well, I think anyone who's, you know, dissatisfied a with, as I said, looking for something spiritual, because you do get a lot of guys who are looking for the God pill. They're looking for some way to move to the next level. They've maybe learned how to shoot, learned how to fight, and they're looking for next level. So uh, I, I know a lot of guys like that, actually. Like they're, they're, they're into the contemplating life phase a little bit more. Mm. Um, they've, they've tackled some of the practical stuff. And uh, so it, there's definitely that aspect to it. Mm. Um, so I think something like that, someone like that, they're going to get a lot of things to think about and maybe incorporate into their lives. And and hopefully, like, uh, you know, as I've said, I think there's room to inspire new culture, mm-hmm. which is really my wheelhouse. And what I want to do is is if you can it, it, take these old ideas and integrate them and use them in a new way, what art could we make from that? Mm-hmm. Like, well, like, what... What does the striker look like? You know, like in, in re-envisioned in a modern way. And I've messed with that a lot in my head. Just that's an art project I'd like to assign to someone at some point or maybe do myself, you know, because of like, could I make a striker that just wore a helmet so that you couldn't tell what he was, he, he didn't have a race. Because mm. like, I know what he looks like to me. There's a very specific statue of Heracles. But like, you know, like that's what he looks like to me. Yeah. But uh, what way could I, univer- in what way could I universalize that? So that it mean, it would be accessible to all men. Hmm. And, you know, so there's so many ideas. Or, you know, just have a million different guys envision them in a really different way, like they did with Jesus. You know, like, you know, like, oh, for you, if you're in a, in a place where brown people, then it's brown Jesus. You know, like, it's, that's that's how it works, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you're in, obviously, it's Scandinavian Jesus. You know, it's it's like, yeah, that's right. what people did. They the fifth the member God. of ABBA, yeah. And yeah, they, yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah, it's like, there's so much, I think, creative potential here and, and a place to run. And yeah. because I was reading the uh, uh, the Lord of the Earth chapter today, um, I do have a little rant in there. It's about two pages long, I think, uh, on art. Uh, because that's something that's important to me and I, and the way that I feel that men have really been separated from art, uh, in many ways, uh, because it's become kind of about men who hate other men. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of, it, it's become defined by a culture of resentment mm-hmm. and historically that has not been what art has been at all. 
You know, it's been men. Here are the greatest ideas of our society. My my best chance at my best try at envisioning them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's it, so that it will inspire other men. And that's what art is yeah. and always has been. And so I I would really like maybe you know, a lot of artists to to mm-hmm. who are interested in these ideas and interested in masculinity, but to take this and yeah, where can we jump off from and stop copying the past and really what could excite us? Because it's like you think about the 20th century, it's all these art movements that are like yeah. a lot of them are deconstructive art movements. And like, what do we had a constructive art movement? Yeah. You know, like, like get men on this train. Cause I think that's really exciting because that's what we've really left behind. And one of the reasons why we've fallen so far, I think uh, as men has been that we left all of the creation of culture to people who hate us. And then what do you expect you're going to get with that? You know, like that's, that's why you turn on TV and you're like, wow, there are like three shows that I can even handle right now because most of them are against me personally. You know, like yeah. they, it's, they don't, they don't share any of my values. They don't, you know, they like inspire me in any way. They're just someone telling me that I'm bad and like yeah. in, in various narratives and in various ways. And, you know, we need to create culture that's not that. I mean, like, Im- imagine an alternative Hollywood. You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, there's so much room for the creation of things that are positive to masculinity. And so, I would love to see people take that ball with the book and run with it. Um, you know, so I think that's exciting for you and me specifically because we're both artists, you know, by trade. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, that's uh, I think that's one thing that people can uh, go with it. And I think that in the way that people I, the int- original intent of the book was for you know men who you know maybe had looked at a book like King Warrior Magician Lover, mm-hmm. and because a lot of the book was really ba- originally started about might be my Germanic take on that, and then it just became a lot more than that. But mm-hmm. um, a lot of the early mythopoetic men's books are written from a very feminist frame, mm-hmm. and so they're they they really like swipe the warrior under the rug and like make him he's like he like dissociate him with any kind of violence and and yeah like a lot of the things that successful men have done they kind of say that they're not mature masculine and you know like they they kind of they they take a lot of the masculine frame out of it but talk about mask ideas that come from masculine systems so there, there's a little bit of disconnect there. So I wanted to create a book about parts of the masculine mind, mm. really, because that's we're we're not just talking about gods and ideals. We create, you know, we for whatever reason we have these ideals. They're related to jobs that we have in the world. Mm. You know, this is our role. It's you know, it's a, you know, to create and then to, to champion and to perpetuate. These are all things that we do. So there, these ideals are really the best possible version we can imagine of doing that. Mm-hmm. So it, in a way to, to, to deal with your own mind. And I think I originally set out to have people look at it and, you know, see what need, what's out of balance, mm-hmm. you know, because, uh, you know, maybe you need a little bit more of Lord of the earth going on in your life right now. Yeah. And, and like you do too much warrior stuff, you know, do, do too much striker stuff. Too much, uh, you know, this other thing. Maybe you need a little, to take some time and do some Lord of the Earth stuff and perpetuate life and work on your relationships and work on uh, 
all the things that uh, make life enjoyable and not just do father stuff or striker stuff, uh, you know, or you know, any of those other things. Maybe you're you know, spending too much time, you know, drinking and partying and, and, having, and enjoying life. And maybe you need to do some father stuff and some yeah. striker stuff, you know. Yeah. And so it, it, so I see it as a possible way to think about balance in your own life. That's awesome. And, and to add one final note to that, like talking about kind of these other books that have come out before from a feminist perspective, mm-hmm. a, a true solar man doesn't hate women or hate anybody. He doesn't he doesn't have to. I mean, he right. may have enemies, but even his enemies, he knows and, and and he he's able to understand because he rises above all those things. Mm-hmm. Like it, hatred is something that just it's it's a very black hole kind of perspective. Right. And like things like you know, like defining yourself against your enemy. Because I think about a lot like the what's the response to culture today that that is destroying the, this concept of traditional masculinity. It's to it's to be outraged about it. It's to complain about it. But that doesn't really actually fix the situation. It just perpetuates, in my mind, the echo chamber. And what you're saying is so true. Like, no, don't hate those people. Just ignore them and make something better. Have a a better idea on the marketplace of ideas. Have a better culture that's going to gravitate people toward that. Rise above the sun of this culture and be a brighter, more positive sun that that draws people to your light, to your influence, to your presence. And I think that's something that you're doing. Like, you're not – this book is not a tirade. This book is not a tirade against – ideas or, or movements or it or whatever of this current age this book is a is a path forward that men can take that want to avoid all that crap to begin with and just kind of champion their own cause and, and move their own way through life and so i'd recommend this book to anybody who knows how to read personally because <laughs> there's something in it for every single I, I man i feel like i need f- to hire you to just do my press like, <laughs> <laughs> well you got my email so uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know i can make good graphics for you but um yeah. But uh, yeah, so ultimately, man, I love this book. Seriously, I'm, I'm going to promote this on my Instagram. I, I want to write you a review as well. Um, but where can people find you? Where can people find this book? And um, yeah, just just give yourself, plug that stuff for me. Well, um, obviously, my website is jackdassdonovan.com. And on there, you can find a link on the about contact page. I think there's a sign up for my mailing list. And I've been moving a lot of things to email uh, I it took a few weeks off cause I had to throw a party for 30 people and, uh, it, you know, send out 500 books, but I, uh, you know, so I had some stuff going on, but, uh, I want to get back to writing. Most of my writing is going to be in that email, uh, now, uh, cause I think that's the way to go, uh, for a lot of people in the future. And, uh, my Instagram is at start the world. There's also a link on my profile to the mailing list, but, uh, you know, I'll keep doing things on Instagram. Um, for as long as I'm able to do so. And I'm excited about that because spring is coming and it's going to be beautiful in Utah and there's going to be a lot of cool. I like doing photography, so that's that's fun. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of opportunities for creativity there. I'll probably be starting some new, you know, maybe a separate account for solar idealism and mm. other things, you know, maybe a, a website and, and so forth, as we discussed earlier. And uh, there, then uh, yeah, the other way, I do have a YouTube channel which I'll probably be making more uh, content on this uh, summer. It just takes, that's very high. Uh, that's a lot of investment to make that that content, but yeah. Well, awesome, Jack. Well, I it's been an honor to have you on this podcast. I mean, you really are the inspiration for the Oaks and O's podcast and the Oaks and O's account, and especially in terms of, of the solar approach to things and in your works on paganism have been really cool too. 
And uh, man, just thank you so much for spending your valuable time and being so generous to come on here. And uh, man, looking forward to seeing what this book does in the world and watching it rise and, uh, and seeing what life comes alongside of it. Awesome, man. Thank you very much. So that will do it for today's episode of the Oaks and Ovas podcast. Again, all my thanks to Mr. Jack Donovan for coming on and for this great conversation. I encourage you to pick up his book, join his email list, and follow him on Instagram at StartTheWorld. He's uh, always a shot in the arm when it's needed. And uh, he definitely is able to challenge the way you think and inspire the way you live. And until next time we meet, may you continue to rise like the sun over the darkness in your life so that you may inspire other men to do the same in their lives as well. I will talk to you next time.